0: God gave me the great privilege of going to Mississippi to care for my mom and dad and give my brother a break. My mom and dad both came down with COVID two weeks ago. And uh, I got to sit with them because I hadn't seen them in a year. And I got to go sit with them and tell them how grateful that I was. My mom for always modeling servanthood to me. My mom has been a servant servant. I don't know of anybody in the world that has served God more in my view than that woman. I've watched her care for the sick and dying in a nursing home uh, when she got paid nothing to do it hardly, but to go and it wasn't a job for her, it was a mission for her. And she used to take me and my brother there and she would tell us, come on, let's go say hi to them. Let's go in and, and, and visit them. Because they don't have anybody to visit them. My mom did that with me when I was 12, 13 years old. And I remember complaining. I didn't want to go. The nursing home stunk. <laughs> Smelt like urine and alcohol. And I, and I didn't want to go. But she made us go. And we would spend the night. We would sleep on a couch in there. My brother and I, while she worked the 11 to 7 shift. And then we would go in the morning and we'd visit all these rooms and see these people. And she'd take us in there. People with cerebral palsy, people that had other health conditions mentally not there. I've never forgotten that. She was a pattern. And my dad got up every morning. My dad wasn't a great theologian. My dad wasn't a guy who was well-versed in all the Bible. But every morning at 6.30, he got us up. And we sat down at a table and he read the Scriptures to us. He didn't even explain it. He just read it and we prayed. That was it. And I remember not liking that. I wanted to sleep late. I didn't want to get up at 6.30 in the morning as a teenager, but that's what he did. And he was a pattern for me. Thank you. The writer to Hebrews ultimately is telling people as you run this race of faith, you be a pattern. You be a pattern. You are a pattern. <laughs> be a pattern for God. Don't be a pattern for other things. Don't be a pattern for the world. And you know, our journey started a year and a half ago. And as we went through this book, Chris, it's really written to a group of people over and around Rome who was a small faith community made up of of people who were all in with Jesus, people who said they were all in, but they weren't, and people still trying to figure it out. And it was five warnings given. The primary purpose was written to the believers. The faith community encouraged them, but there were five warnings to the people that weren't all in. They weren't true believers. They were like a lot of people in the American church who know about Christ up here in their head. They know all about Him, but they don't know Him intimately. And so the warnings are in chapter 2. He says, don't drift from the message. What's the message? Jesus is supreme. He's the only bridge to God. He's the only thing that really matters for you to know Spiritually in how to connect to your Creator. It's not sacrifice. It's not a church denomination. It's not uh, uh, you know some family ritual. It is Jesus and Him alone that makes God able to receive you into His family. He's the only thing. And that's the message. Jesus is supreme. He is our great High Priest. And so He says in chapter 2, don't drift from that message. Chapter 3, He says, don't harden your heart don't think that you can live independently from God apart from Jesus. Don't think you can live independently. I created you. He, he's he's, saying, uh, he's taking them back to the children of Israel who saw God do all these miracles and still they said, is God with us? Does He really care about me? And, and so he says, don't harden your heart like they did. Don't do that. And then in chapter uh, 5, In 6, he gives the third warning. He says, don't waver. Don't go back and forth between yes, I'm in or no, I'm not in. For us, we don't waver with a sacrificial system like they did. We waver with the world. We We want Christ and the world and you can't have both. You can't have your feet in both boats. You can't be running a race for Christ and running a race to get all the things of the world. And we're going to look at that today, even in what he says to the people, because most of us spend our entire life trying to get the approval of other men, either by thinking we're important, that we're powerful, we have money, or we just want them to love us and like us. And so we spend all our time and resources trying to gain that approval somehow, some way. And he says, No, don't waver. Jesus loves you. God gave Jesus to you to bring you to me to let you know that you don't need anybody else except for me. And then in chapter 10, he warns him, don't be an apostate. An apostate is somebody who has the truth but rejects it. That's one of the saddest things in the world to me is somebody who knows the truth about Jesus, and we all know him. Everybody in this room knows people who know the truth, but they say, you know what, I don't want it. I don't want that. I'm not going to live that way. And they just reject it, even though they know what Christ has done for them. And then in chapter 12, he gives the fifth warning, which is just don't reject him. Don't. He makes this final appeal. Don't reject Jesus. The whole book basically is uh, nothing but leading us to know that as we run our faith race, the, the analogy he gave in chapter 12, that we run it knowing that God chose us to be his and to put God on display in the world around us. That's what he wants us to do. And so he spends the first 12 chapters of the book Basically laying a foundation. Who's who's builders in here? I know there's somebody who builds. Anybody? Eddie, Eddie is. Eddie, you're a builder. What happens if the foundation's no good? Well, you're just messed up. Yeah, it's never going to work, is it? I mean, you can have the be- most beautiful house on top, but if the foundation's messed up, it's going to crumble. Or if you have a ship for you guys who go boating, if you have this unbelievable boat on top of the water but the hull is messed up guess what it's going to sink and usually it doesn't sink right away but what sinks it a storm or bad waters or bad weather and see what happens in the world around us is people spend all their time working on what's up top they don't work on the foundation and they think they're doing good till a storm hits them and it reveals that there is no foundation there and so he t- he spends 12 chapters or, or the majority of the book getting to the point to where he is in chapter 13 to where he says, okay, this is what it looks like now. This is the foundation. First you believe, then you act. Okay? First you get revelation, then you see the application of it. That's what he wants. So he lays that down. And we've been in chapter 13 really for the last, I guess couple of weeks we've been going through different things as we're in 13 in chapter 12 he started this race analogy and we got to run got our race according to his plan he says put off the useless put off the things every weight and sin he says we got to run according to his purpose we got to look to jesus That's what he says. Our purpose is to follow Jesus. You know, when Jesus, he didn't say follow my teaching. That's what most of us think it means to follow him. He says, follow me. In other words, follow my pattern. It's not about knowing. It's about being. Far too often we want to know and not be. He says, look to his pattern. Consider Jesus. He's the source and the supreme example of our faith. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is the source of your faith? Your very faith is a gift from Him. You can't muster it. You can't just say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live out this life. You have to call Him. You have to seek Him. And He says as we're running, there's two races we can run. Remember we talked about Mount Sinai and Mount Zion? You can run to Mount Sinai, which is performance, In other words, if I do this, God will accept me. Or you can run to Mount Zion, which is grace. I can run this race because of what God has done for me, not what I do for Him. And he says this is seen in our love for God and others. Our love for man. Remember we looked at that? Love for brothers, aliens, those who are hurting. Longing for our Maker. And then before Thanksgiving we saw that he calls us to run this faith race staying true to the gospel. How do we do that? By imitating the faith of our fathers. He says, remembering the object of our faith doesn't change. Remember he says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Do you know the same Jesus that walked with Peter? is the same Jesus that can live inside you. In fact, Jesus says it's better for us because Jesus isn't just here with us in a physical capacity where he self-limits his power. He's inside of us with unlimited power. Now, he doesn't self-limit anymore. You See, when he walked the earth, a lot of people don't think about this. He was 100% human on earth and he self-limited his power. He didn't just, that's why it says, why do you think it says in Scripture He grew in wisdom and stature? Why would He need to grow if He was all-knowing? He wasn't all-knowing in His human form. Only as the Spirit moved Him to do things. Why? Because He's purposely self-limited. I never really thought about that much until I started going to Israel and started really looking at the Scriptures. Most of us don't think about that. But he's not self limited anymore. He's inside of us. And then he says to guard against false teaching. You know, I was, the other day, I was watching TV and uh, this thing came on. This guy, man, he sounded so good. Man, he sounded good. He's talking about Jesus. He's teaching. And it was on a, believe it or not, it was on, you know, a lot of these news channels on, sometimes on the weekends, they run religious programming. And so it was running on there. This guy didn't look like a whack at all. No whack job. He looked like a real legitimate Bible teacher. And he was saying things that sounded so right. And he's sitting there talking. Um, I'm listening to him. But then he said some things and I'm going, whoa, that that ain't right. I knew exactly in Scripture where it wasn't right, where it conflicted. And I'm listening to him, and the more I listen to him, but I'm looking, there's an audience, and their people are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had no idea what he's saying is false because they're biblically illiterate. And that's why it's important what you guys are doing, growing in the Word. And we've got to guard the purity of the gospel. And he says also, we saw, he says, to stand apart from the world. He said Jesus went outside the gate. Why? The sacrifice was taken outside the gate because we stand apart from the world. we got to be willing to suffer rejection from the world because of our faith, like Jesus. That's our pattern. And too often we compromise because we don't want to be rejected. And I understand that. I do. In the Marine Corps, I experienced that a lot. You probably did too, Kent. I mean, like... In the Marines, it's hard to walk a life of faith because you want to fit in. These are your brothers. And then we saw in verse 14, he said, seek the home built by God. Don't try to fit in here. Don't compromise. That's what he was saying. Well, today, we're looking at 15 through the end of the chapter, 24. And as we look at this, I want you to think about these questions, okay? Okay. I want you to think about What in me will my children or others imitate? Think about that for a second. What in me will my children, and if you don't have children, others around me imitate? Why am I here? In other words, if you're a believer, why should God leave you here if you're not going to be a witness for him? If you're here, it means God has a purpose for you to be a witness for Him. We don't always know what that is. I didn't know what that was till I almost died in that plane crash. For me, I thought life was about me. And then God said, no, Doug, I'm leaving you for a purpose. I shouldn't be here today. But He left me. I can write out a list of at least 50 names of people who are in the kingdom today because of the way God's used me in their life now I can't take credit for any of that because I'm scum I've made terrible life choices I'm a terrible witness but God has redeemed me he's redeemed me and used me because he has a purpose for me and he has one for you too what is your mission Jesus said this he said follow me and I will what Yeah. He didn't say, hey, follow me and go be fishers of men. He said, follow me and I'll make you. You see, our mission is to follow Jesus. The question is, are we? Because if you're following Him, I promise you, you will be a witness for Him. You cannot follow Jesus and not be a witness for Him. How are you running? See, one of the problems for us today is we have a lot of situational ethics This came about, I think about 10, 15 years ago, uh, a lot of elites started talking about situational ethics. You know what that means, really? (laughs) It means everything. You do what you want when you want to do it. That's what situational ethics is. Yesterday, I was at the shooting range with a guy, and I was just out there, and I needed change, and he gave me change, and I, I had a $100 bill. And I asked him, I said, can you change this for me? And he gave me four 20s and a 50, thinking 150 was a 20. Because in his mind, he just counted out. He's an older guy, and he just gave me four 20s and a 50. And I go back to my truck, and and I just look at it, and I go, he just gave me too much money. Yeah, he did. And and, and, And I go, hey, 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 wait a minute. You gave me too much money. And he goes, Well, you know, wow, that was really nice of you to catch that. You know, some people might not have done that. I said, Yeah. But you know, the problem is, I can't not do that. Because God is always watching. I can't have situational ethics. It's not me. It's not that I'm just such a great guy. Because I'll tell you, if it was my flesh, I would go, okay, I get an extra 30 bucks. But God. See, this is the thing about believers and followers of Jesus. We have a conscience that knows what evil is. Now, are we perfect? No. But that conscience is from God that helps us understand unbelievers don't care. They don't care. There's, um, Dostoevsky, who wrote the Brothers Karamoff, Karamazov, Sorry, says if there's no God then everything's permitted. So that's why um, Darwin uh, and every disciple Darwin had said, there's no God because they can do what they want if you go back and you read history before it was rewritten a lot about these guys they will tell you the reason they did what they did and came up with the theories they came up with is because they wanted sexual freedom every one of them huxley darwin all these sartre all, all these guys sartre so no ethics no god no god no standards no morality without god and for us as believers, guys, obedience always equals joy. It does. So I know that was a long introduction um, <laughs> to get to <laughs> Hebrews 13:15, but I want to share, in the remaining time today, really four thoughts related to our faith race, how we're supposed to run it in this text. God calls us to run our faith race sacrificially, submissively, prayerfully, independently. Sacrificially, submissively, we submit. God's people are submissive people. Because submissiveness is obedience. Prayerfully and independently. So let's read the text. We're going to come back and look at each one of these, and hopefully we'll get through it. So uh, I don't know. We may not, but we'll try. All right. Uh, Looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. He says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips... That acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. I think it's funny he said I write to you briefly. Man, we've been in this book for a year and a half. <laughs> but this, these, these four principles he's calling us to are all right out of the text. He says in verse 15, offer up a sacrifice of praise. We're to run our race sacrificially. First is self-sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means that every day we get up, we get up not our own. We get up his. He bought us. So when we get up to sacrifice, means what, Kent? What does it mean to sacrifice? Give up. Give up you your life. give up. You give up holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of worship. There's a quote by Tozier. He said, crucified people can't look back. They only look ahead. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. You got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Guys, we live in a culture that says we live for ourselves. Our culture says you got to get for you, you got to have it your way. You deserve this. We don't deserve anything. My daughter, Kate, wrote an essay for a scholarship to a a Christian um, gap year program. And one of the questions she has to address in the essay is why I deserve this scholarship. And she said, I don't deserve the scholarship. She said, I've never deserved anything in my life. I deserve to be in an orphanage in China. But God, through his grace, has blessed me and all I can say is, I will do my best to live a life worthy if you help me. And I saw that, and I'm like, wow. 17. And I'm just like, I saw that. But we think we're worthy. And you know when we think we're worthy? When people demand that we prove that we're worthy. And what I was struck by when she wrote that is she was asked a question that a lot of times we as men are asked. Why do you think you deserve this promotion? Well, because I do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. I was thinking yesterday was, quote, Giving Tuesday. How many of you guys got multiple emails saying you can double your gift if you get it today? (laughs) I saw that and I said, God, I thank you. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking. I ask you guys to support Dawah and stuff. There's nothing wrong. But I bet I got, from some ministries, I got 10 emails from the same ministry asking me to give, reminding me there's only a few few hours left. And I just said, Lord, thank you that I don't have to resort to anything. You take care of me. You always have. You have been my provider I don't deserve anything I have. Whatever I have comes from you. Guys, He calls us to be sacrificial in the way we live our life. And it starts with us. Self-sacrifice for Him. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we sacrificing for Him? Well, it's not just self-sacrifice. It's also serving others. Romans 15, 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, he says. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. When's the last time we built up a neighbor? Man, this is convicting stuff. I'm reading this and I'm going, okay, Lord, man, just pile it on because this is, this is what we should be doing. Hey, are there opportunities out there for us to build up our neighbor now? Yeah. For you guys who've served over on the north side, when we go, when we give, do you have opportunities to build up your neighbor there? There's lots of them. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others count others more significant than yourselves. And then it talks about Jesus, who being in very nature God considered, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but instead He became obedient, became a human, the God of all creation, the One who spoke stars in the sun into existence, became a human and was crucified for me and you. Wow, if that doesn't make you want to sacrifice, I don't know what will. I'm sitting in Mississippi cleaning up urine and carpet with my mom. And I did it with joy because this woman nurtured me from the time I was a baby and taught me to love God. It wasn't a burden, it was a privilege and to serve other people because God has done stuff for us. He's given us life. Guys, we've got to remember, Satan tries to get our eyes off of that fact and onto the fact that, man, I don't have what he has. I don't have what I want. And we've got to stop that. Yeah. Philippians 4.18 says, I am well supplied. These are This is Paul writing to people who have cared for him at their own expense. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's not just self sacrifice or serving others, it's financial sacrifice. When you get a big boatload of money or you get a bonus, Or you have money that you get unexpectedly. Is your first thought, here's what I can do with that? Or is it, I wonder what God wants me to do with that? And it's also a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, what he just said. We just read it. I offer him a sacrifice of praise. You know what that is? He says that is... The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do you acknowledge His name to people? Do you praise God or do you curse God? Are you like the Israelites in the desert? God don't care about us. If He cared, then we'd have meat. If He cared, we'd have water. If He cared, we'd have this. If God really cared about me, I wouldn't have this happening in my life right now. I think of... I mean, uh, Solzhenitsyn, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a prisoner in Russia in a prison. You know what he said about the Russian prison? And by the way, Russian gulags make, I mean, they're, they're like, the American prisons look like the Hilton Hotel compared to what they have over there. They're, they're horrendous. Solzhenitsyn said, bless you prison for having been in my life because it was through prison that it came to Christ. Well, that's just verse 15 and 16, he says, sacrificially. Verse 17, he says, obey your leaders. He says, and submit to them. There's two things there. Obedience and submission. Our leaders keep watch over sheep and the purity of the gospel. Guys, you should not be part of any church that negates or denies the purity of God's word. I'm just telling you. Don't think you're going to be a missionary in that church. Don't support it. And I don't usually talk about churches, but there are a lot of churches that negate and deny the purity of God's word. And you need to run. One of my board members was at a church church he was an elder on the board and he thought he could change it they started deviating from god's word in one area one area led to another area and he came to me said doug i don't know what to do i said you better run otherwise you're going to find yourself compromised he says obey your leaders and submit to their authority When God puts people in your path that are in authority over you, it starts with our parents. Parents are the first authority that we experience growing up. That's God's structure. He works through parents. And He says, honor your mother and father. He doesn't say honor them if they do everything right. He doesn't say honor them if you like what they tell you. He says to honor them. Why? It's the first authority structure that you have where God works through these people. Then you have elders in a church I don't like what they're telling me to do. Now listen, I have no authority, but God's word has all authority. And and here's listen to this. John 13, Jesus says, "Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me." See, you got to get past looking at the pastor or your elder as Joe or Doug or whoever it is. You you hopefully are seeing that if I'm up here as a servant of the Most High God teaching God's Word, that God is using me as an instrument. And I'm nothing, but He's everything. His Word is everything. And that's why I told my daughters the other day, you sit here and you just think Dad's reading the Word. God is trying to communicate to you through me His truth. And you have a choice. You can obey it or deny it. And as men, we have a bad tendency to look at the guy up front and go, "I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the way he preaches. I don't like what he just said. I don't like the way he said it. He's not interesting. If somebody listen, if you were dying from a deadly illness and the person, the doctor wasn't friendly, but he had the cure for you, you're going to take the cure.) <laughs> And so we've got to get past seeing the people and see God using the people. Submit, he says. Listen, we have to understand. He tells us why. He says, leaders keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Go back and read the book of Jeremiah. Listen to what Jeremiah says in 13, 17. If you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret. Do you know when you guys don't obey, it breaks my heart. I, 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 I'm so burdened for some of the guys at SWAT. Guys who aren't here anymore. Guys who pulled away. When I know guys that God has given me an opportunity to influence and to help them in His Word, deny His Word and don't obey it. It breaks my heart. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. Acts 20, 24-31. through 31, Paul telling the Ephesian elders... I know that there are going to be ravenous wolves who come in here, false teachers, and they're going to mislead you. Paul was was torn up about that. Hey Doug, is this referring to our church leaders specifically or leaders in general? Here, I think because he doesn't contextualize it with the church, I think it's leaders. But obviously elders and church leaders would be considered in that but I think if, if you're in a small group God has put that small group leader in a position over you to, to is he if he's teaching the word again I have no authority I have no authority what Doug thinks doesn't matter except as it comes from God's word explained hopefully I'm explaining it correctly but I'm human and flawed and sometimes I may not be do you mind thank you for doing that uh, Andy. Um, so so, is there an ecclesiastical um, body here in this room right now? Well, some people would view this as a church just because the church is the people. See, we've defined the church as a building you go to where you've got a paid pastor and a paid staff and those people are there. That's not the way they defined it in the New Testament. You do have elders and leaders you celebrate Communion, the Lord's Supper. Do we do that? Do we? Here? No. Well, we have. Four we have. At the conference. Uh, yeah, we've done it. We don't do it here every week, but we have done it at re- retreats. Why Why do we do it? Because we're commanded to do it. Do we baptize people? I baptized Roy two weeks ago. Or three weeks ago. Yeah. So so, are we believers? Are we gathering? Yes. Are we the church? Yes. yes. Am I up here teaching God's Word? It's His Word. It's not my Word. And, and so I think specifically here, see, the concept of doing what we're doing, now, we wouldn't be here if the church was functioning the way the church should be. Plain and simple. But it's not in our culture. So as it relates to the New Testament church in Jesus' time, yes, that's what he's referring to. As it relates to 2020 in America, I, don't, I think it relates to the ecclesiastical body. Wherever you're meeting as believers that somebody's teaching God's Word, you have leaders that are discipling. Are we making disciples? Yes. What's the mission of the church? To make disciples. So he says, obey. First Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Guys, there is a great responsibility to be a teacher. James says, don't do that if you're not willing to handle the responsibility and what comes. He says, we who teach will be judged with straight, greater strictness in James 3.1. So, he says, obey your leaders. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's what he says. Then in verse 18, he says, pray for us prayerfully. Philippians 4, 6 says, pray about everything. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray always. Guys, do we pray except when we need stuff? I mean, I mean, we all pray when we we're in the foxhole. But do we pray for our leaders? Do we pray for our friends? Not just when they're in need. Do you know, Sam? I pray for you. When you're in California, I prayed for you. I pray for you, Riley. I pray that you will walk with Christ as you're at the Y. I, and I pray for each one of you. I, that's why I, I have this list on my, my desk at home. And I see your names. It's right there. Every day to see your names. To pray for you. What's going on? Bob, that not only will God heal you externally in your physical body, but spiritually He continues to grow you. Because as we go through illness sometimes, our eyes get off of Him and on why doesn't God make it better? So we pray for each other. Don't assume that I've got everything going on right in my life. I need your prayers. Paul said, pray for me. (laughs) We pray for each other. So he says, prayerfully run our race. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience. I love that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not perfect, but my conscience is clear. I'm doing my best to be the man of God that God's called me to be. And guys, I tell you, without reservation... (laughs) that I'm doing the best I can to walk with God with a clear conscience right now. Pray for me. I don't know that a lot of leaders can say that in our culture because a lot of leaders insulate themselves and they don't have people who will put their finger in their chest and say, hey, are you reading God's Word? In fact, I've done it to a few of them. They didn't like it. They're like, they looked at me like, who are you to be asking me that? See, as fellow believers, that's a loving thing to do. Amen. Prayerfully. And then verse 20. Now listen, dependently. I love this, and I know we're at the end, so we got a couple of minutes. Just bear with me here. Verse 20-24, to 24, guys, is kind of like the summation of what the whole thing's about. It's a summary statement. And notice what he says. Now may the God of peace... It's a benediction. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. I don't think that word eternal covenant is used any other place in the New Testament. What's he saying there by eternal? It's usually new. He's referring to the new covenant because it's the blood of Christ. What is he saying by saying... He's saying what Paul says in Ephesians 1. From the foundation of the world. He's telling them, God earmarked you, Rory, to be His. He earmarked you to be His. From the foundation of the world. You are always His. So don't have some misconception that you choose God. He chose you and said, I'm going to place my spirit in you. You're going to represent me to the world. Now walk in that spirit. That's what he says. We depend on him. You can't do it on your own. And notice he says in verse 21, equip you with every good thing. The word equipped is used four times in the New Testament. Okay? And it means making something fit to restore. It's like it's used also. Um, it it it, it's, it it has this idea of like when they were mending their nets. It's to restore, and it's used four times in this capacity that he's talking about here. In Ephesians four eleven, apostles, evangelists, they're to equip to restore the saints. Second Timothy Amen. three sixteen and seventeen, talking about all scriptures is inspired, why? That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped or restored. 1 Peter 5.10 Let me flip there real quick. 1 Peter 5.10 talks about and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore. So suffering actually equips us. And then here in Hebrews thirteen twenty one, he says, he's equipped. Why does he equip us? He restores us to be a pattern. We are his workmanship. Ephesians two eight nine. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created to bring glory to his name. And that's what he says. God made me for himself, and I am ever restless until I find my peace in Him. Augustine said that. And it's true. So, why am I here? What kind of pattern am I sharing? Why has He left me here? Listen, we are God's person molded for God's purposes by God's power to bring God glory. That's what He wants. There's a guy... All I know is his name was Danny. And I'm going to close with this. He went to the Citadel. He was a missionary. He wrote this in his journal before he was martyred. He wrote it. He walked out of his hut going to visit with, a, I guess, a chief of a tribe and they martyred him for being a Christian. But this is what he wrote. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed and my present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and I'm done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chained visions, worldly talking... Cheap giving and warped goals. My face is set and my gait is straight. It's fast. And my goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough and my companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, and prayed up and paid up for the cause of Christ. I must go till he comes. I must give till till I drop. I must preach till everyone knows. Work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my banner will have been clear. We're fooling ourselves if we think we'll die for Christ when we won't live for him. So what are you going to do? What kind of pattern are you setting? Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that you have called us to be sacrificial, submissive, prayerful, and Lord, dependent people. We cannot do this without you. And I praise you that you have... Called us from the foundation of the world. And there may be guys here today, Lord, that need to repent. Guys that need to say, I've been trying to do it on my own. Guys who say, I haven't been submissive. I haven't, I haven't been sacrificing anything. I've conditionally sacrificed. But I'm all in. And I want to trust you. And I want you to live through me. I want to be like Danny. I don't want you to have any problem recognizing me as your own father. So if that is you, there ain't no fancy prayers. You just own it up with God. Tell him that you're thankful for the cross and ask him to take over your life and to lead you where you need to go. Father, you know each guy's heart here, and I pray that if anyone prays a prayer of repentance and trust in you, you would restore him and use him for your glory, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.